includes poetry, prose, genealogy, philosophy, parable, history, prophecy, apocalyptic, and many letters. Each of these different genres of writing need to be read carefully and understood in terms of their contextual setting and time. Now, hear this one. It's very important that we understand that not everything we read is to be applied literally. For example, in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 13, so 2 Timothy is a letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, we read this. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Now, no one reading that should be in any doubt that Paul needed Timothy to bring him his cloak, which he'd forgotten, left in Carpus's house, and his scrolls. This is not something that all of us as Christians down the centuries are called to do. That would be nonsense. We have our own cloaks. We don't need that, right? So, so it, this is something that Paul asked Timothy to do. Presumably, Timothy did it once he got the letter, and we understand that. And so that helps us. And I just, it's a fatuous illustration, if you like, but it just is the point that Scripture has to be read carefully, and it's not simply a question of going, oh, download the whole lot. We have to think about it because it comes out of a context and it was written in a time and a place that needs to be understood and carefully worked over to say, okay, what does it mean for us today? So it is a human book written by all those people in all those genres, and it's also a book that was actually assembled by humans too. It was humans who decided which books to put into the Bible. There are many more books out there than the 66 we generally take to be the Bible. The process of selection for the Old Testament was long and drawn out, but it seems to have been largely settled by the group of rabbis known as the Great Synagogue, who met off and on between 130 BC and 70 AD. So they basically got together and they argued and talked and thought and they said, well, these books are the ones that seem to us to be the ones that are really important to hang on to. And some of these other ones, and uh, many of you know that uh, in a, if you go to uh, a Catholic church and you pick up a Bible there, you'll find a, a section called the Apocrypha. And in the Apocrypha, there's a group of books that Protestants, at least, don't believe are the Bible, that they lack the, the, uh, the power or the reality that the rest of the Old Testament has. So there's all these other books out there, but the, the, the great synagogue kind of figured it out and said, well, the Old Testament is this, these 39 books, and these are not so reliable or not going to help us. So, uh, so the Old Testament, was a, there was a process there that sort of shook it down and, and got there. And the same happened for the New Testament. So for the New Testament, it was an equally protracted process. And while there was general consensus early on amongst the early church fathers, leaders in the first and second centuries, things weren't finally settled 
until some key councils of the Western church around the end of the fourth century, when we finally get the established canon or uh, the, the, the 27 that are the approved books of the New Testament. So, the Bible, a human book written by humans, collated by humans, agreed on by humans in various forms, that's all true. So what then do we mean when we say that the Bible is an inspired book? Now, some of this claim comes to us from within the book itself. This morning, we had a passage of Psalm 119 read for us. Psalm 119 is just one of a collection of 150 that make up the book of Psalms. So it's almost like another library within the library. But Psalm 119 is a meditation on the blessings of walking in line with the law of the Lord. And the law being referred to in Psalm 119 is Torah. And Torah is the word used collectively for God's will revealed to Israel, particularly in the first five books of the Old Testament, known in Jewish uh, lingo as the books of Moses. So, we don't even know who wrote Psalm 150, but he's thinking about Scripture and what it means for Israel. And it shows us the way that Jewish people understood the Torah. And he says there's a blessing for those who live blameless lives by living them in accordance with the law of the Lord or, or Torah. And so Jews of that time understood that Torah provided the framework for a righteous life. But, and it's important to notice here, in verse 2, it's not just about keeping God's statutes. It's about seeking Him with their whole heart. So they kind of got it. Yes, God had revealed His will in Torah, but He revealed His will because He wanted to be known, and therefore to read Torah is not simply to find a bunch of laws that we have to measure up to, but it's actually to find the giver of the laws himself. As the psalm goes on, the psalmist uh, reveals that God has provided them with his decrees as a yardstick for living uprightly. By reading Torah, we can see whether or not we measure up to what God is asking for us, his standards. But in order to live our lives in line with God's decrees, we need to learn them and obey them. So what you see here is from within the Old Testament, we have a writer who is looking to the first part of the Old Testament, which is probably all he had available to him, the first five books, and he's saying, these books are powerful because they lead us not only in a right way of living, but into a relationship with the God they speak about. And that's important. There's much more than this in Psalm 119. Remember, we've only just read the first eight verses, and there's a lot of verses in in Psalm 119. And there's much more about 
Torah and the law of the Lord and the way it can help guide and direct our lives. But this gives you a bit of a flavor of how people within the Jewish community understood the importance and the reliability, if you like, of Scripture. As we move on to the New Testament to think about the same kind of thing, it's important to look first at Jesus himself. And we have to recognize that Jesus himself read the Old Testament, quoted it, relied on it, and meditated on it. You remember in the first kind of scene we get of uh, Jesus' life in the Gospels, uh, we see him being tempted in the wilderness. And you'll remember that when the devil appeared to him and tried to coax him to do things that were not the Father's will, how Jesus replied. He replied straight out of the Old Testament, it is written. And he defied Satan by relying solidly and firmly on the word of God as he knew it. And he had clearly reflected on it and meditated on it and knew it inside and out. And this is a very key thing for us uh, to recognize that if Jesus himself relied on Scripture, and we're talking the Old Testament here because the New Testament hadn't been written at that point, there's something in the Old Testament for all of us uh, to stand on solidly. But that wasn't the only use Jesus made of Scripture. You remember when he started his public ministry, when he opened the scroll of Isaiah in the uh, synagogue in Nazareth, what did he do? He proclaimed it as truth. The Spirit of the Lord is on me to proclaim good news to the poor. And then he said, this Scripture is fulfilled today in your hearing. Jesus went on to frequently take on the scribes and the Pharisees for their failure to read Scripture well, to look, focus on the wrong things, not the right things. And then after his resurrection, we have that wonderful story in Luke 24 as he walks along with those two confused disciples who can't really get their heads around the resurrection and they don't realize they're actually talking to the resurrected Jesus. It's a lovely story. But there's this piece in that story where Jesus, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, now that's the Old Testament that Jesus had, he goes through and explains to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So for Jesus, the Old Testament was not simply a book of rules to be obeyed, but was actually a progressive revelation of God's plan and purposes that would culminate in his own coming. So Jesus' view of Scripture is an important one to hold in mind. Jesus relied on it and saw in it wonderful things. We move on a little bit further and we come to the passage we read from 2 Timothy. Here Paul is urging Timothy to do his best to present himself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Now what word of truth are we talking about here? Again, it's the Old Testament. That was what Paul had been brought up in, had grown up in, and the New Testament hadn't been collated or even necessarily written down. 
at this point. Some bits of it had, uh, but others hadn't. So Paul is referring back to the Old Testament, but he's telling Timothy, as a Christian leader, he needs to be grounded in the Old Testament. There is the, the, the place of rightly handling the word of truth. And then he went on to say to, to Timothy that he was keen for Timothy to continue on the same path he had begun. He says that holy scriptures are able to make Timothy, and by extension all of us, wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And again, this is really important. The goal of the scriptures is to point us to Jesus. We do not worship the scriptures themselves, but they are the gateway that God has provided to lead us to Jesus. And he goes on to explain to Timothy that all scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So here we see that from within the book itself, there are many pointers to its truthfulness, its reliability, and to its capacity to lead us to Jesus himself. And I'm aware that we have to be careful with that argument because most of the New Testament hadn't been written at that point. And there we have to trust the judgment, the collective judgment of history and our fellow believers down the centuries who in coming together as followers of Jesus were able to then affirm that the New Testament books had this ring of truth, this sense of inspiration of God uh, that are reliable for all of us to stand on as we seek to follow Jesus. And so we have a Bible these days that we can read, that we can understand, and that we can rely on as the inspired Word of God. I'm aware that in a short talk like this one, we can't cover all the issues that anyone has ever had with Scripture. But I want to say a little word here about the Enlightenment period and about what happened after the Enlightenment. As many scholars and theologians and biblical scholars, particularly of a liberal perspective, have attacked Scripture in, uh, in a way to try to uh, reduce it and to make less of it. They have challenged the authorship of most of the books of Scripture. They have challenged the contents, the factual veracity, the historicity, uh, the miraculous elements particularly, and just about everything in the Bible. What are we to do with all that? Well, it's probably just worth saying that many of the attacks that have been made on Scripture by scholars have been misguided and have been proved over time to have come from a very limited perspective. So, for example, if you believe that a miracle cannot happen, when you read Scripture, you're going to be faced with problems because Scripture points to many miracles. 
So if your predisposition is to say that miracles don't happen, then you've got to find ways to undercut any of the books in Scripture that have miracles in, and many of them do. Well, as time has gone on, there has been a kind of swing back and a pushback against many of those kinds of claims that Scripture is unreliable because of its miraculous elements, and have started to challenge that and said, well, on what do you ground the assumption that miracles never happen? And if that assumption is wrong, then a lot of the so-called scholarship is also wrong. And so there has been pushback and uh, dialogue and a lot of uh, arguing and writing and, uh, and research done. And as that has gone on over the last couple of centuries in particular, the Bible just carries on standing. And the Bible just carries on revealing Jesus to people in all kinds of settings. And as you look down the history of the church, it's so often Scripture itself that has been the rescuer of the truth of Jesus from the hands of a church that had gone wonky and walked away from the truth. Uh, and so we read stories of people like Martin Luther, who was struggling in a context of the Catholic Church that had gone really wild uh, in so many areas. And it was Martin Luther's reading of the book of Romans that led him to a personal encounter with Jesus that set up the whole Protestant Reformation. And the Bible just keeps on fighting back. Now, it's also worth saying that in the torrent of attack on Scripture over the last couple of years, there has been a reaction from more conservative parts of the church. And in those conservative parts of the church, almost like a defensive uh, instinct has been to pull back and to resist any kind of discussion about Scripture and to try to make Scripture say more about itself than it ever claims. And there are Christians out there these days who have gone not so much uh, defensive, but almost uh, have, have elevated the Bible to a point where you can't even talk about it anymore, and they, they worship the Bible itself. And that's problematic too. It's a reaction to some of the attacks, but it's an overreaction because it leads to problems. And when people get fed wrong information about the Bible and then start thinking, they can get into trouble. And we don't want to overstate the case for Scripture. It is a human book. It's written by humans, as we've seen, but God breathes through it. So we have to read it carefully, and we have to read it honestly, and we have to read it with an appeal for the Holy Spirit to show us the truth in it. I hope that this morning, this overview of the Bible and its claims has been helpful to you. That's what I want it to be. I'm not trying to derail anyone or upset anyone here, but I want to leave the last word to Jesus himself. He got on the case of the Pharisees often, and he said to them this, 
you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. And I think it's just worth sitting under that for a while and asking all of us and asking ourselves, well, could that be true of me? We love to study the Bible. That's good. It's good to know our Bibles. It's good to know chapter and verse. It's good to know the details of the Old Testament stories. It's good to know the details of the New Testament stories. But the danger is that we get so enthused about the book that we miss what the book is pointing us to, which is relationship with Jesus. And if it was true for the Pharisees in the, in the day of Jesus, it can be true for us today that we can get so close and miss the point. Think about it. The time is coming when we are united with Jesus in the kingdom that comes, when a lot of us will have trouble because there will be no Bible studies to attend. Think about that. No Bible studies. We won't need the Bible when we are in full and clear relationship with Jesus, right? Isn't that so? And so we have to keep the important things important. The important thing about Bible study is to lead us to Jesus, to life, to his presence, to his capacity to bring change in our lives. At that, it's great. For now, it's a gift, and it's something we want to go forward with. But it's limited, and its time will have come. And I believe that heaven will be spent spending time with Jesus, gazing at his face, rejoicing in his presence, and looking forward with him to new things in the world made new. That's the hope, and that's where we stand around Scripture. So may we here at Granville Chapel get the balance right, continue to value the Bible as the inspired word of God, by which he reveals himself and his truth to us. And may we know him above all else. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much for the Bible. Thank you for giving it to us. And thank you for the fact that it does show us the way to you. And thank you that it's done that over the centuries to many, many people. Uh, and that it did it in the days of the Old Testament and it continues to do it in the days of the New Testament and the Old Testament. Thank you, Lord, for showing us yourself in it. And thank you, Lord Jesus, for validating it and encouraging us to know it and to follow it and to live it out in relationship with you. Lord, we want to be a community that is well-grounded in Scripture, but we want even more to be well-grounded in relationship with you. We pray for that and long for that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.